Good morning, church. So good for the summer crowd. I want to begin this morning squarely in Scripture and reading from Ephesians 6. It'll come up. Ephesians 6, 10 through, I think we'll go to 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Do you feel strong this morning or not strong? Weak? Fatigued? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Ever heard that before? Ever do that? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is real, y'all. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as your shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of what? Gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. You think you're not under attack? Think again. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. That's a good word. That's a really good word. Friday night, I dropped off a friend. I'd walked a friend from a restaurant at the district over to the, what is it, the residence in Marriott there at the courtyard. And as I was walking back to, to my truck, there, were, there was a group of friends, some young ladies who recognized me and spoke to me. And you could tell their conversation was heavy, and they brought me in on it. And it was a conversation that really was really one from the heart. Kind of maybe advantage of being a pastor, I guess. They just, you know, just bring you right in, ushered me right into what they were talking about. And it affected them. They were talking about this woman. I'm going to venture a guess that she uh, has more money than anybody in the room, more fame than anybody in the room. Kate Spade. She took her life this week. And they were talking about this guy. Even I, about three months ago, I posted on Twitter. I was just having random with Robert thoughts. And I posted on Twitter, uh, feeling the pressure of the ministry. And I said, man, I'd like to have this guy's job. Who, Who wouldn't, huh? Travel the world and cook and eat and immerse yourselves in a variety like that's your job i'm going to venture to guess he's got more money than anybody in the room more fame than anybody in the room a more exotic job than anybody in the room and this week he took his life and as i talked with these young ladies they were talking about the guy down the street and one of them was talking about her very own life and the battle that she's in and you guys we are in a battle. There is an enemy and he is unseen. It's an unseen, it's an invisible force, but he is real. And Jesus taught this, so I'm going to go with it. But Jesus taught that he came, this enemy, this evil one, he came to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Do I say that enough to you guys? I, like, I feel like I should drop that more, John 10. And he comes to steal and kill and destroy. And we are in a battle. We're in a battle. If you open to Ephesians 6, you can look at the first four or five verses there. We'll put it up. You know, we will. This morning in our week two of our sermon series called The Fight of Your Life, we're talking about fighting for your kids. Not fighting with your kids. I saw some of you doing that on the way to church. 
I have an office on the third floor. It's a bird's eye view. I saw you, okay? Not looking at you now, but I saw you. Fighting for your kids. Okay, here's what the passage says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, you know there's a lot of commandments in the Bible. They shouldn't be heavy. heavy. They should be liberating, okay? There's a whole lot of commandments in the Bible, and this is the only one for kids. So passages, commands, instructions, advice, warnings, encouragement for husbands and fathers and employees and employers and women and men and people and soldiers and farmers. And, but this is the only command for children, and I'm telling y'all, I got this one wrong when I was a little one. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, next Sunday is your day. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This morning, we're talking about fighting for your kids. This sermon, like most of them in this series, it can seem niche and narrow, like, you know, like some of you want to tune out. Well, I'm not a parent or I'm not, you know. This sermon's for everybody because we have a lot of parents in the room. We have a lot of kids represented here, some in the room who are well behaved right now and listening to the bald headed preacher man. But look, we got grandparents in the room. A lot of you know, Monday we went to Belmont, Mississippi, and we buried Mavis, my grandmother who almost turned 101 years old, and she was a mother and a grandmother and a great-grandmother and a great-great-grandmother. Try that, huh? A great-great-grandmother. And she was an awesome great-great-grandmother as well. But look, we have grandparents and great-grandparents in the room. And here, here's the thing. As a church, I was talking to Daniel, our student pastor. I know Van and Emily will concur this, living in West Fondren and leading us to be missional, to care with compassion, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. We're invested in kids. One of the reasons God used some of us, feeble and frail, to plant this church is to impact kids in this neighborhood. And so this is a sermon as a family for everyone. So here's what I want to give you this morning. I want, to, I want to talk to you this morning. I'm going to call it four questions every kid needs answered. Four questions every kid needs answered. Y'all ready? The first question is this. What are the boundaries? What are the boundaries? I don't have a continuum up on the screen, but you can look at me here. Picture on this side, there's that word that we all appreciate, the word love. And over here on this side of the continuum, there's that word called limits. Okay? So what do kids need? I'll tell you what they need. Those are two primary needs. They need over-the-top, unconditional love. And what if they don't get it? We all lose. We all lose. Over-the-top, unconditional love. They need that. They need to know that they're loved no matter what. But limits tells us that they can't get whatever they want. Now, there's a generational breakdown that I want to share with you this morning. People my age and older, it's very common for me and you to hear this, okay? This is the 50 and older crowd. Very common to hear someone say, man, I never heard my dad say, I love you. But I knew what the line, I knew where the line was, and I didn't cross it. Now, here we are today in 2018, and can I just say, the pendulum has swung, Right? What do you want? What do you need? Here it is, right? The pendulum has swung there. But what we need, what a child needs, is to know 
What are the boundaries? And it changes, doesn't it? It changes when they're two, and it changes when they're seven, and it changes when they're 18, and then you don't have much left of talking to your kids about boundaries after 18. Trust me, I know. But what are the boundaries? Kids need over-the-top unconditional love. Say amen. And kids need to know their limits. Say amen. That wasn't as enthusiastic, but here we are, okay? And so, very important. So how? How do we answer that? What are the boundaries? I want to give you two things. The first is we discipline in love. We discipline in love. Hebrews chapter 12. Let's look at verse 5 and 6. The whole chapter is phenomenal. And you have, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Sons of God, that is. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Don't do it now, but later you ought to read the King James Version because it drops a cuss word on you. It's really good. Hebrews chapter 12. Now let me say something to you. God is not a control freak, okay? He's not a control freak. He is not out to be random with punishment, okay? That is not the heart of God. Hebrews 12, 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. What a contrast, huh? But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I was reading a Stanford study of some juvenile delinquents who were asked, what did you need most from that parent or that guardian growing up? What would you need most to feel loved. You want to you guess the answer? Hugs? Nope. Hugs are good. We're for hugs. Kind words? Nope. What do you think they said? I wish I had been disciplined more. I wish I had been disciplined more. I'm looking at a four or five-year-old back there with his dad shaking his head like that, okay? He's not buying in, but this is, dude, this is a Stanford study. Is that Reed over there? This is a Stanford study. You, you know, he doesn't know about Stanford and Palo Alto yet. But this is what they said. I wish I had been disciplined more. And the heart of God is not to be a control freak, not to be a punishment guy, not to be random in the way he dispenses justice, but it's to, it's to correct. And no one ever says... When in the moment that they're disciplined, no one ever says, thank you for showing me those consequences so readily. Like you ever had a kid do that? Ever, you ever done that as an adult? Like we're, we're disciplined. Like if you're a child of God, he wants to discipline you out of love. And he does, doesn't he? Anybody in, under the disciplining hand of God right now, he might be refining you. Maybe you don't know because he's mysterious and we're walking by faith, not by sight. My grandma, she's walking by sight today. All right. But you and I, we're walking by faith. But do you feel like you're under the disciplined hand, disciplining hand of God today? That's what He does. That's what He does to those that He loves. Now, some parents, here's another pendulum again. Some parents are very domineering. That person, particularly that father, it can be mothers as well, but it's like, you do what I say because I said so. You're living under this roof. Wipe that look off your face. That's the domineering parent. And over here is a permissive parent. Do you want to get that rap album with lewd lyrics? That's fine. 
You want to get that grotesquely violent video game? Sure. Daughter, do you want to dress however you want, showing most of the parts of your body? That's fine. It's just a phase. Can I tell you that the domineering parent and the permissive parent, the results, you know what the results are? Both of them lead to rebellion. All right? These are solid secular studies out there. Both of these lead to rebellion. And so we serve a God who calls us to be sons and daughters and to lead and shepherd others, particularly our kids, and to discipline and love. The second thing about the big number one question, what are the boundaries, is we discipline and love, but we also, we model. We model genuine love. Romans chapter 12 I quote this often. If you're here at Fonder and you know this, but Romans 12 tells us to love without hypocrisy. And kids, do you know this? Kids have antennas right here and they have hypocrisy meters. All right. And I bet, look, I'm not putting myself above anybody in the room. I'm not trying to, but I'm just telling you, I'm a pastor. So my kids hear me preach regularly. And so, man, I, I'm as mindful of this as anybody. Okay. Do you want my job? Like you preach and point your finger and open up the word and tell people how to live. And there's warning and instruction and admonition, right? And then you go home. Okay. But I'm telling you through trial and error, good and bad, that kids have a hypocrisy meter and they do at your house too. Let love be without hypocrisy. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is so good. He wasn't a dad, was he? But, but was he? I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. By the way, parents, that stuff's got to end. That shaming stuff, can we break free of that? Like, can we break free? Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, love the exaggeration of the Bible, you do not have many fathers for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Hey, mom. Hey, dad. Hey, grandparents. Hey, coaches, teachers, mentors with little ones around you. To what extent can you say that? To what extent can you say that? Imitate me. Like I became your father. I'm so proud of our church. Many times I don't brag on you enough, but one of the single moms in our church, great lady, a lot of courage, a lot of spunk. She texted me last summer and told me she's a single mom and she's got a little boy. And there was a father-son canoe trip. And she was invited by one of our people, one of our young men who had a son, noticed and loved her and knew her and said, hey, your son can come with us. I would love to have him to be part of our canoe. Isn't that great? To receive a text where we notice and we love and we see that. Isn't that great? Because that's the church being the church. Man, I would hope to fan those flames all the more, okay? All the more. Let's look out and let's care and let's be spiritual fathers. Let's be spiritual mothers to each other. And Paul is saying, can you imitate me? If you're a note taker and a few of you are, wish more of you were, but write down Philippians 4.9 and write down 1 Timothy 4.12. I'm not going to have it up, but Philippians 4.9, Paul says this, continuing with this theme of imitate me. He says that what you have seen in me, what you have heard in me, what you have learned from me, what you have received from me, put it into practice. Parents, can you say that? Teachers, coaches, grandparents, can you say that? To what extent can you? The things you've seen and heard and learned from me, can you put that into practice? And Paul was so confident, he said, if you put it into practice, you're going to have peace. Like, these are wise decisions. Like, I'm following Jesus, and that's the best way to live. 
Not problem-free, but it's the best way to live, is to follow him, and you follow me. In 1 Timothy 4.12, he says to a young Timothy, a spiritual son, he says, don't let anybody look down on you because of your youth, okay? Daniel Wagner reminds me of this sometimes. Don't let anybody look down on you because of your youth, but what does he say? Be an example in, in speech and in conduct and in faith and love and purity. All right? So I'm going to say something heavy that we need to be reminded of. Parents, they are watching. They are watching. Listen to what Dr. Tim Kimmel said. The best way to ensure that our children will speak respectfully is to make sure that's how we speak to them. Parents are dreaming if they think they can bark and bite at their kids and then get anything less in return. I've been on the inside of Christian families where I've heard parents speak more harshly to children who have committed minor infractions than judges speak to serial killers when they are reading their verdict. Destruction. Destruction. Be an example in faith, love, in speech, and in conduct. And speak words of encouragement. Years ago, I got a note from a teacher that bragged on one of my kids and said that there was a kid being picked on and my kid went, he's got a great mom, and my kid went and he spotted it and he took up for him. And what did I do? Did I hold on to it? I know years later, I've used it as a sermon illustration, but in that moment, what did I do, right? What did I do? I read it to him. You think I had some tears in my eyes? You think I, my heart swelled with good, a good kind of pride? But to encourage him, because we're always, I'm loosely quoting somebody, but parents are always finding their kids doing something wrong, and we're rarely spotting them doing what is right. And so build up. Discipline and love. What are the boundaries? What are the boundaries? Kids need to know. Discipline and love, and then model genuine love. Second question. I'm going to go faster on these. I know we got some clock watchers. Do you love me? Do you love me? Psalm 127, Nick Crawford shares this when he helps families dedicate their babies. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring are a reward from Him. Most translations in the English say children are a gift from the Lord. Not a burden, not a pain, not a distraction, but a gift. Sometimes Susan will look at our dog. He's so awesome, 100 pounds, the dog. And she'll say to him, you're such a pain. You're such a pain. And then I will speak words of life into him and say, you're such a gift. You're such a gift. You're such a gift. And he's terribly confused, golden retriever. But look, children are a pain. Children are a burden. And have you ever thought, and some of you are really weary right now, just, I'm just going to say this out of love. You know, do you know that you think you're raising these children and God's raising you as his child and he's using these little ones, right? He's using them to raise you. And so when you feel pain, when you feel distracted by them, when they are a burden to you, just rise above it and claim what Psalm 127. They're a gift. They are a heritage. They are a reward. That's what God says. Look what else he says. You know this? We do it again with family dedication. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, there's three things you do with an arrow. One is you aim it. 
You give direction, right? Another is you pull back. In other words, you prepare it. And then what do you do? I'm learning that this is the hardest part of parenting, okay? I'm, I'm listening to the little ones, okay? I'm seeing some younger ones than what we have. But like the hardest part of parenting could very well be the letting go. And can I, I'm, I, I'm telling you, some of you have done it and you've done it well. And some of you... You're not ready for this. These kids are your idols. Like, they're your whole life, which is terribly sad. You know? Terribly sad. But you, you just as a bow and arrow, what do you do? You give it direction, you aim it, you pull it back, you prepare it, and then you let it go. My son has finished his freshman year of college. He's our oldest. He's 19. He came home this summer, and he got a job. And the job was so hard, he got another job, which is hard, but not as hard as that first job. Some spiritual lessons here, I'm sure, that his mom and I helped him navigate. But after a few days on the job, I I won't name the employer in this room, but obviously it's a local one. And he said, boy, you know, I just thought 20 bucks was 20 bucks. And now I realize that's two hours of working at blank. I'm like, yes, yes, there's the lesson, right? There is the lesson. Children are a gift. They're a gift from the Lord. And do we know that? Do we know that? What do they need when it comes to love? Let me give you two points here. Your kids will know that you love them if you give them attention. Now, do you know about David in the Bible? What do you know about David? Like, don't don't exalt him too high. We were in Jerusalem back in February with friends, and we toured the city of David. What a king. What a life. You know, he was a terrible dad. Terrible father. And he had a son named Absalom. He had many. It was a lot of reality TV dysfunction. Would have been a hit series. But David had a son, Absalom. And you know, Absalom could not get his father's attention. He had to go to a man named Joab to get the kings. Could you imagine? Like you can't even get access to your dad. So he goes to someone to say, hey, can you get me access to my dad, David's son? Look what it says here. Then Absalom sent for Joab in order to send him to the king, but Joab refused to come to him, so he sent a second time, but he refused to come. Then he said to his servants, look, Joab's field is next to mine, and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. So Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Listen up, parents. When kids don't get the attention they need, they will set the fields on fire. They will drop out of school, they'll use drugs and alcohol, they'll sleep around, they will get you back. They will enact, they will set the fields on fire. Second way, and let me let me let me say this, we'll get to grace in a second. We always like to get to grace, but give them attention. Here's what I want to say. Kids don't need to feel like they're competing with your phone, your tablet, your schedule. And there's some of us, and I say us, there's some of us in the room who have very demanding jobs and it's way more than 40 hours a week and you're on the clock and it's hard to go home and check out. One of my tribe across town resigned this week. No scandal. He just couldn't do all the stuff, all the people stuff, all the weight. He just couldn't, he couldn't be fully present. And I admire him for it. Man, if, you, if you're going to cheat, cheat work. Even if it's ministry, don't cheat home. That's, that, that's, 
you don't want to lose there. Are you with me? Like, that's not where you want to lose. God doesn't, I'm speaking for God now. He doesn't want you to lose at home. So give them attention. And don't make them feel like they're competing. And I know that I can't spend a lot of my time with my kids. I know that because of my job, I have to miss a lot that they're doing. And I'm not a Disney dad. I'm not a scoop in and take them somewhere once a year. We do go on some fun trips, praise God. But I, man, every time I walk by one of my kids, I touch them. Every time. Whether they like it or not. And it varies. But sometimes when I tickle, they're just transfixed. And I touch them every time and I talk to them and I tell them that I love them all the time and their mama's got my back to tell them sometimes why I'm not there. But every single time, it's only happened a few times, but when I get a text from one of them and says, I need to talk, do you realize how quickly I get home? And I don't care who's mad at me or what I miss. And kids know they're loved when they get attention and they know it when, they, when we give them grace. Do you love me? Give them attention and give them grace. Look at Hebrews chapter 8. I love this. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Look, some of you are trapped in a sin. Some of you are feeling the weight of shame, okay? Look at that. And if you're a teacher, a parent, a coach, a grandparent, you've got little ones under your influence, I want to say you cannot, you cannot give what you have not received. Psalm 130 and verse 3. Now, don't run out there and commit a bunch of sin because this verse is in the Bible, but look at it. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? Don't use that as an excuse. Don't misunderstand grace. But aren't you glad of that truth? Because a person cannot stand. They cannot stand before a God who keeps a record of sins. And a child cannot stand before a parent who keeps a record of sins. And I know a young man who when he was younger, he told his parents a lie. And it was a doozy. And I understand building trust and building trust back. Okay, I understand that. This won't be a balanced illustration, but try to follow me. But this young man, after he lied with his parents, his parents kept a record of that wrong in front of him. Well, hey, you know, I know, I know, you know, I know you said you're doing this, but, you know, you, you lied to us. You remember when you told us that lie? So I don't, you know, I don't know. And they, just, they kept it in front of him and kept it in front of him and kept it in front of him. And I just want to say that's not grace. So let it go. Quit the shame. Release these kids into freedom and build trust. What are the boundaries? Discipline and love. Model genuine love. Do you love me? Give them attention and give them grace. Third question, will you be there for me? Will you be there? Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 9 says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Jesus would later add mind in Matthew 22. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. Gosh, he's not talking about church once a week, is he? When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, we would think that there's some exaggeration there, right, to prove a point, but not in Jewish culture. Like some of you, I've been to your houses, you've been to mine, there's like an inscription, right? A favorite passage or an idea that you want to keep in front of you and your kids and uh, in the spirit of hospitality, people come over that come over to your house. And here, 
We're seeing this decree from Moses, man, keep it in front of them. Will you be there for me? You know what kids need? They need rhythm, not random, all right? I know we got some artists and some creatives in the room. I I have a little bit more of a bent that way, but look, what I've learned is I've gotten older and I've taken a wife and I've taken kids and taken a church and taken responsibility. Random doesn't always cut it. Like I need rhythm and people that live in my world that love me and that I lead, et cetera, they need to see Robert living in rhythm. And they need to see things repeated in my life. Will you be there for me? It's not annually. It's not even weekly. Some of y'all know you need to come to church more. Can I just say that? Make this a regular rhythm. It really, you'll be blessed. You will. Not another church, but this church. Let me be clear. I'm speaking for God. But anyway, like rhythms, right? Rhythms. They need to know that things are repeated. Okay? That things are repeated over and over again. Are you keeping the word of God before you? Give that gift to your children. Another thing beyond just repeating and rhythm is perseverance. We are quitters as a society. James chapter 1, verse 12 says this This is the half brother of Jesus. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. It's hard to raise healthy humans. It's hard to raise little God chasers if parents are quitting all the time, right? If we're moving from state to state and job to job and person to person and church to church and we don't remain through the hard things, we don't find a tribe and anchor down and learn and learn to forgive and bear with one another. And we do that, don't we? We we do that. And children, it's hurting our children when they see that. I love the old preacher story about the guy that was deserted on an island. He lived there for years all alone. And when he was rescued, could you imagine after years how thrilled he was? He was so thrilled. He was talking and talked to people. And so long he was talking to his rescuers. And he was telling the things that he had built. And they marvel, like, look at that building. Look at that building. Look at that hut. Look at that place. And he was telling them, like, hey, that's where I lived. And that's where, you know, what, what's that building? Well, that's where I worked out. What's that building? That's, that's where I went to church. And hey, what's that other building over there? He goes, that's where I used to go to church. You know, and so... Look, be steadfast. Remain. Find a place, find a community, find a job, find a people of faith. and Stick with it and learn and give that gift because children, if they, if, if they ask you, will you be there f- for me? They need to know that you can repeat things, that there's a rhythm that they can count on. I had a young man in my office this week whose parents divorced and it's really painful, a lot of acrimony. And he says, man, I used to come home when I was in middle school and high school and college, and they would sit there, he, my dad in the chair, my mom on the couch, and they would just read books, lame novels. And I'm like, you don't have a life. And he goes, I would long to go back to that day when they were under the same roof and they were there and I could count on them. Kids need that. Will you be there for me? They need rhythm and repetition and they need to see perseverance the last question is question number four how can i win the big battles now tom i'm on the clock so i can't talk about the battle for purity i'll do that another time and i can't talk about the battle for faith with a college freshman i really want to preach that sermon soon but you know our kids our young people they're in a battle for purity and it's really worth it and every time they fail with porn in their pocket and the relationships that are illicit there's a tearing of the soul there's a failure to 
understand intimacy. It doesn't catch them at 15 or 25 or 35. They will, they will yield the results of that later in life. And I say it too often, but man, there's not a lot of guys my age that are doing well. And I'm not talking about physically. How can I win the big battles? Here's the one battle in the duration of our time that I want to talk about. It's the battle over entitlement and dependence. The battle over entitlement and dependence. Years ago when my daughter, who's now almost 17, when she and I were at a movie together, we were seeing Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And I remember seeing it from an adult's eyes, not her little eyes. And I looked at the screen and I was kind of, as the story was unfolding, I was thinking about Snow White. And I was thinking about, you know, what a, what a, what a terrible story of this woman who, uh, she's afraid of her stepmother, right? So she hides from her stepmother out of fear and insecurity. And then she works for seven cranky short guys in menial labor, right? And then she sits passively, idly by, waiting to be rescued singing a song about Prince Charming coming to save her. And I remember thinking, I want to right now tell my daughter, don't live this way. Don't buy into this. This is not, this is a bad message. Confront your stepmother. She's aging and neurotic and unhappy. Confront her, right? Don't work for those doofuses. Don't do that menial work. Do something. Find a skill and do it. Serve the poor. Give to the world. And don't wait around for somebody to rescue you. And when it comes to picking out a Prince Charming, let Daddy pick out <laughs> Prince Charming, right? I wanted to scream these messages to her. Here's what I want to say to you. This is not me. I'm not going to drop facts and statistics on you. I, I, if you email me, I can give them to you. But every expert, religious and secular, can tell you today that we're not doing well, that entitlement is going up, dependence is going up. So look, everybody can parent the way you want to parent, right? Nobody forced you to come to church today. You parent the way you want to parent if you're resisting this. But I'm just going to tell you what, my, what I've told my kids. I'm going to get you a car, and I'm going to get you through college. And there'll be no failure to launch at my house, right? I mean, you're out there. And here's what I want to say, and you know it's true in your life. When, when you have a safety net, what do you do when you have a safety net? You fall back on it, Right? I've noticed that in preaching. Man, if I've got some notes up here, I'm going to look at them. But if I walk up without any notes, I'm not, I'm not going to look at it. I don't have a safety net. Whoops. I also don't have a microphone. But when there's a safety net, psychologically, you fall back on it. Josh Carver dunked in the gym. He jumped on Van's back. Van was down on the floor. He jumped off his back and dunked. And he sw- swung with his arm and landed.